take for granted that we have a church this morning full of people who have fully grasped that. But I want you to know it's in Christ alone. It's Jesus plus nothing. Not Jesus plus coming to church. Glad you're here. Not Jesus plus doing a bunch of good stuff. Not Jesus plus getting baptized. Not Jesus plus, you know, doing all kinds of community service. Not Jesus plus going to Kentucky Changers. Jesus plus nothing. In Christ alone. And praise God for that because I can't do enough. It's Jesus plus all my good stuff. I ain't got a lot of good stuff. You know what I mean? In Christ alone. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, drive that truth home to us today. Help us to see what you have called us out of, what you've called us to, what you've called us to be. Help us to see your graciousness and your love. We thank you so much for it. Open our eyes and our hearts this morning as we open your word. Speak to us very clearly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're looking at a guy this morning, believe it or not. Uh, I, I, I am an expert, don't laugh, just at that, it's bad, you guys are already laughing. I am an expert at laying foundations for homes, just so you know. I haven't told you that in eight years I've been here, but I'm an expert at that. I'm also an expert at drywall <laughs> and other such things, because I've been on mission trips before. When I was in high school, we went to eastern Kentucky, and we did what's called mountain outreach. And um, and we worked through the University of the Cumberlands, Cumberland College at that time, and we stayed there in the dorms, and we laid foundations for homes, and I became an absolute expert. I know it all now. And then when I was a youth minister, we took a group to Pascagoula, Mississippi, to do hurricane relief after Hurricane Katrina, and we did drywall. And all the kids looked at me like, hey, man, what do we do? I said, look, just stand back. I'll show you. (laughs) Y'all are laughing because you know none of that is true. None of it. Except for the fact that I went on those trips. That's it. I was there. I was present and accounted for and standing there clueless with a tool that's probably wrong for the job. You know, that's I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I can't fix anything and whatever. But, you know, I, I would show up to those trips and there was so much to get done. We went to Mountain Outreach, and we were part of a crew that during our week, we were there to lay the foundation. We were there to put the block on the footer. I had no clue. Still couldn't do it. I had no clue what I was doing. We had a couple people there, of course, that tried to help us and so on. And we go to to, to Mississippi, and we, we do this job and trying to replace drywall on these homes that have been so devastated by the hurricane. And and it just it overwhelmed me every time. And and there's lots to do this week for those who are part of Kentucky Changers. And it's going to seem completely overwhelming at first. I don't know if y'all have ever done anything like this. Maybe you did Kentucky Changers before. You show up, you got your paintbrush and your hammer and the stuff they told you to bring, and you, you feel like, all right, here we go, I'm ready to go. And then you get there and you think, I don't know what I'm doing. Any clue what's going on. This is overwhelming. There's so much to do. You'll have a job that you'll think there's no way. And then you know what happens? Then the crew chief happens. Ben Cossey happens, and he shows up, and he knows everything. I'm just telling you all, listen, this guy over here in a blue shirt, he knows it all. Okay, don't let him lie to you. He's going to try to play like he, he knows everything. Anyway, the, the guy with the plan shows up, and guess what? He tells you what to do, and he lays it out. Here's what's going to happen, and you're going to say, no, 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 no you, this is overwhelming. You don't know who you're dealing with. I have no experience and no skill whatsoever. I can't do this stuff. You know, my hands don't have any calluses on them at all. You know, I mean, I don't work. This is not what I do. 
And the most important thing as you begin your week will be to listen to the person who has the plan. You ever done something like that? You try to get started, it's overwhelming. You find somebody who's, who's got some knowledge and a plan, and if you want something to work, you've got to have that long-term plan. Your objective may be to build a deck, to put up a fence, to pour concrete, to put a footer down, to whatever it may be. It doesn't matter to do drywall and all the stuff that I got to be a part of or any number of things that come up. But in order to reach the goal, the objective for the week, you've got to listen to the crew chief. You got to know what his objective and what his plan is. Now, in a spiritual sense, as I talk not just to this group over here this morning, but to all of us as well, God Himself has an objective, and He has a purpose, and He has an outcome, and that outcome is to change the world. That outcome is to gather for Himself a people who believe in Him. And so that he can then glorify himself in them and through them change the world. That's God's objective. And God has a plan for doing that. And I'll be honest with you, that plan seems overwhelming. That plan seems like something you show up to on a mission trip and you say, I don't have a clue how to do this. I'm no good at this. I have no experience at this. I don't have the tools necessary. i got a paintbrush and you're telling me to hammer. I can't do this. That's the way it's going to seem when you understand what God's plan is for you in his changing of the world. And I'll just tell you this up front. God's objective to change the world has a simple plan. And God's plan for changing the world is summed up in one little phrase that I'll come back to over and over today. God's plan for changing the world is to make every Christian a missionary. And I've put it in emphatic terms, every Christian is a missionary. If you don't want to be a missionary, don't call yourself a Christian. Because you are, by nature of your faith in Jesus Christ, by God's grace, you are then commissioned as a missionary for wherever God has you. Every Christian is a missionary. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. If you got a Bible handy, a smartphone, a tablet, however you want to get there, you'll see the little code that you can scan on the back of the bullet or on the uh, outline rather. And that'll take you to some notes. You can do some some notes if you want to. Email that to yourself. However it is that you want to access scripture today, I encourage you to get there. Luke chapter 10. Look at verse 1. After this, now after this means after what happened in chapter 9. There's a lot that went on in chapter 9. Just see, Luke chapter 9 is one of the most loaded chapters in all of the New Testament. I love it. It's incredible. It covers all kinds of different stuff. Uh, the 12 disciples were commissioned by Jesus, officially sent out to go and do ministry. Uh, they're told more about what their lives are going to be like as believers. Jesus told them in Luke chapter 9, take up your cross daily and follow me. He told them in chapter 9, look, it's it's not going to be easy. Even, even I, he says, even the Son of Man. I don't have a place to lay my head. You know, this, this, this life as a Christian, he says, here's what it's about. And then he gets to chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others. Now, some of your versions may say 72, a little bit of disparity there, discrepancy over how many, but it's 70 or 72. The Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them ahead in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, Right out of hand, we get the fact that the pattern of Jesus, the pattern of the New Testament, the trajectory of the book of Acts is that every Christian is a missionary. It's not just the 12 disciples. It's not just the pastor of the church. 
It's not just the Sunday school teacher. It's not just the youth leader, the children's minister. It's not just the deacons. It's not just the people who have arrived spiritually. Every Christian. We don't get anything about these 70. I kind of wonder who was in the group. It's just a bunch of random dudes. You know, I mean, who, who was it? Was it was it some people that Jesus talked to a lot? Seems as if he trained them a little bit and he sends them out. We don't get their names, though. We don't get their credentials. I doubt that any of them had been to seminary. I doubt that any of them were serving regularly in the synagogue recognized as the top rabbi in the synagogue. These, these, aren't, these aren't the people that you would think, well, obviously those folks are called to be missionaries. They weren't giving any, given any recognition. We don't know anything about them. The pattern of the New Testament is that Jesus would always use people like this, and then the church would always use people like this as their missionaries. Let me tell you this. You don't have to be called to be a missionary. You don't have to be trained to be a missionary. You don't have to go far away to be a missionary. You are, by nature of your faith in Christ, a missionary. Sent by God in His plan to change the world. His plan is to use you and me. Literally, you and me. Not people like you and me. Not some folks out there who sense a special call on their lives. No, 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 no. His plan is to use, literally, you and me to change the world. And I mean that very specifically. Not just these folks here in the matching t-shirts that you love, right? Not just those folks. But yes, you. Yes, you. And you. And me. Literally, you and me to change the world. Not just people who dream of going to the mission field their whole lives. Yes, he's going to use those people. But guess what? We also are missionaries. Not just people whose names and stories you hear every once in a while. His plan is to use you and me. Every Christian is a missionary. Now, our problem is we'd rather somebody else do it. Know what I mean? It's okay to nod. It's okay to understand and say, yeah, you're probably right. <clears throat> we understand this. We know. Listen, I could go to each of you today and to the person, you would say, yep, I recognize that. I know that I'm, 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 a, I'm supposed to be a missionary at my work. I'm supposed to be a missionary in my home. I'm called to be a missionary in my, in my community just because I have faith in Jesus, because I'm a Christian. But if I'm honest with you, <laughs> I'd really rather somebody else do that. I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather give some money. I'd rather pray for somebody else to do it and then sort of applaud when they, when they do That's what I'd rather do. Now, let me just tell you, there's nothing wrong with giving money toward missions. I hope you give tons of money toward missions because we need money to go toward missions. I hope that you give. I was talking with, with a, a church member earlier this morning and, and she said, you know, I, I can't do everything that I once did, but I'd be happy to give toward this. Listen, don't stop doing that. You do what God has called you to do, what you can do. But listen, if we are able, then we don't need to simply and only give or simply and only pray. We need to give, we need to pray, we need to do all of it, and we need to make sure that we go. It's easier, unfortunately, to see ourselves as, well, I'm not really a missionary. Those real missionaries, that's the ones. The truth is, some will go great distances. And I hope and pray that in our church, out of Elm Grove Baptist Church on the east side of Callaway County, I hope and pray that God raises up people, young people. I hope that some of these kids that were sitting with me that come around here in the mornings, I hope that some of our young people will be raised up and called and sent to distant places where the gospel is so desperately needed. I hope and pray that, but I also hope and pray that you and I will open our eyes and recognize that we are missionaries and Callaway County is in desperate need of God's gospel and His grace. 
Others will be called great distances. You and I may be called simply to share with our friends and neighbors, but we're all called to something. Jesus didn't leave the ministry to the 12 disciples, and neither today are pastors and deacons and church leaders the only ones called to share God's blessings with others. And so if we're all called as missionaries, what then? What do we do? I'm going to give you some characteristics this morning of what great missionaries do. And hopefully get us on the path of here's what we as Christians need to be about. Look at verse 2. Jesus told them the harvest is abundant. The harvest is plentiful or the fields are ripe unto harvest, I believe the King James says. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. He uses farming terms. There's a cornfield in my backyard. I have a father-in-law who's a farmer. I sort of try to pretend like I know stuff about farming. Okay? I do the best I can. But I know there comes a time where you plant, there comes a time when you harvest, right? Harvest time comes in the fall, and you hope every year that you have the greatest harvest that you've ever had. That you don't have to have crop insurance. You don't have to do all that stuff. You don't have to write a bunch of stuff off and take a loss. You hope that you have a great harvest. Jesus says to them, look, I'm seeing I see the harvest. It's great. There are lots of people that are out there that are desperate and needing, and some are even waiting for them to for, for folks to come and tell them about the great news of Jesus Christ. He says the, there's a great harvest. There's lots to be done. He's trying to create in them a sense of urgency. Sort of like that song in the movie, Smokey and the Bandit. You're eastbound and down and loaded up and trucking, and when he said, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. And we're going to do what they say can't be done. Some of you know that. It's okay. You've seen that movie. Long way to go and a short time to get there. Jesus says, that's how I want you to view this harvest, with a sense of urgency. There's a long way to go. Listen, even in Callaway County, even in the Bible Belt, there are people, lots and lots and lots and thousands of people who do not know Jesus and think they do. They think they do. You know why? Because they're good church members. And they're there every time the doors are open. And they're good people and they're good neighbors and they take care of stuff. And they think they know Jesus. But you know for them it's Jesus plus this and plus that and so on. Jesus is alright but I'm going to live my life. They think they know and we've got to take the gospel to them. We need a sense of urgency. would love to challenge our church that in the next five years or so, that every church member and attender who is physically able would do some sort of short-term mission trip in the next five years. Whether it's something like Kentucky Changers that's fairly local, or something where you go on a short term, a week or two, somewhere and you take the good news of Jesus. God has chosen to change the world, to spread His message, to enlarge His kingdom through the use of missionaries like you and me. He could do it other ways, I guess, but it's His choice and He's not changing. There won't be any revival. There won't be any changed lives. There'll be no communities turned back to the Lord. No people saved and transformed forever without you and me getting on board with what God wants to do. Without seeing the sense of urgency. And so what great missionaries do is first of all they go. Now. They go. I really hope that you are convicted and inspired to go. Jesus says in verse 3, after he tells them about the harvest, he says, now go. Don't wait. 
Don't wait till you have it all together. Don't wait till you've been trained and been through seminary and you know all the answers and you've got all the training. He just says, now go. Go, he says. It's going to take going. It's going to take people who truly believe that Jesus is the only way. The workers are few, Jesus says, and so pray and go. I'm so proud. I've said it before. I really am. I don't mean to patronize you all at all. But I'm proud of you for taking a week of your summer to go from Harrodsburg, from other places, to go to Callaway. You probably didn't even know where Murray was, you know. He showed up here, and he, I'm not sure I want to be here. I don't know, but I, I really am. I, I mean, you, you're leading the way, whether you realize it or not. You're leading the way in your church, in your home. You're helping us see it just by going. And the Lord says for those who are missionaries, to go. Secondly, verse 3 says, Now go, I'm sending you out as like lambs among wolves. If you're going to go, you got to be strong. you got to be strong. It wasn't going to be easy for these folks. And we are, just so you know, by our very lives and by the words that we say, we are confronting our world with an alternate message. They don't like it. People don't want to answer to anybody. You ever, you ever figure that one out? They don't want to answer to anybody. They don't want to answer to God. They sure don't want to, to think that they might be on their way to hell. They even believe in such a thing. They sure don't want to think that. So we are, just like these folks, sent out as lambs among wolves. You know, one is the prey, the other is the predator. Guess what? We ain't the predator. We're the prey. We are sent out as lambs, as vulnerable people who could be attacked, who could be insulted, who could be offended. And certainly Jesus was all those things, the true Lamb of God. And we're just like these guys that Jesus is sending out. I wish it were reversed, I'll be honest with you. I wish we were on the hunt. And then everybody that we go and take the gospel to, they just sort of roll over and say, Oh, I'm so glad you came. Thank you so much for telling me that. It doesn't happen always that way, does it? Life as a Christian isn't easy, and life as a missionary certainly is not easy. You're going to need strength from the Lord Himself. Jesus goes on and he, he highlights the fact that not only were they to be strong because of how they're being sent out, but they were to travel light. He says here in verse 4, look at it. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Well, that seems kind of weird. Okay, don't, don't, don't wear shoes, don't take extra clothes, and don't take any money. And that's not exactly what he's saying. <clears throat> what he's telling them is don't weigh yourselves down with all the stuff that you'd be concerned about going on vacation with. You're not going on vacation. You're going on a mission. And he tells them, look, don't take a bunch of extra stuff. All it's going to do is get in the way. Don't, don't worry about all the extra money you think you need. I'll provide your needs. And don't worry about even taking extra shoes. Just wear what you got on and go. Travel light. Don't let anything slow you down. There have been things that have slowed me down in my life from focusing on the mission of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes it's just legitimate. I've got four children who are involved in various things. And as they've gotten older, some of you have realized this before because you've been down the road and you just kind of laugh at me. They get, they get busier and they get more expensive, don't they? And I'm not sure which is more exponential, the busyness or the cost. I have no, I don't know. We're sort of in both right now. Sometimes things just in life can, can get in our way of traveling light through life and being focused on the mission that God has for us. We need to see our Christian lives not as a vacation through life, but as a mission 
These guys are going to be wearing the same clothes over and over. Showering in a trailer, probably, or no shower at all. How fun is that? They're to be much less concerned, though, with those things than they were about taking the gospel of Jesus where they were going to be. Jesus said to them, look, travel light. Don't let anything stand in your way. Don't let the pressures and the concerns of life get in your way. Travel light. Let loose of anything that's going to hold you back from focusing on the mission. Then he follows that up at the end of verse 4. He says, don't greet anyone along the road. What's he talking about? Be rude. Don't do the fellowship time at church. Listen, he's not tall. He's obviously, they were, they were Baptist folks who loved to shake hands at church. The truth is, if Danny didn't start playing the piano at some point, y'all would never stop shaking hands, would you? We'd just shake hands and, you know, that's okay. I like that about our church. What he's telling them is stay focused. Travel light, but stay focused. Stay focused. Because in, in, in the ancient Near East, when they would greet someone along the road, it was this big elaborate deal, and there was honor and shame involved, and they're trying to make sure that they honor the other person and avoid being shamed and, and avoid insults and so on. It's kind of like how some of you feel on Sunday morning, and you almost feel like you've got to go and apologize to the people way in the back because you were sitting up here and you didn't make it back there during the handshaking time. And I'm sorry. I, you know, I tried. I tried to shake everybody's hand, but I just couldn't get there. That's the way they felt. You know how it goes. They, 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 my wife gets on me all the time because I can't go to Walmart. Because inevitably I'm going to run into somebody. And it's not them that, that you know, wind up talking. I wind up talking. I'm going to try to greet and say hello and so on. She won't let me go to Walmart anymore. I, now I don't come home for like two hours. And I, don't, I, mean, I forget what I was there to get and the whole deal anyway. Jesus is not telling them to be rude. But he's telling them to just stay focused. Don't get caught up in all the stuff that everybody else is doing. You've got a mission. You've got to stay focused. And then he says in verse 5, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this household. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. In verse 7, Remain in the same house, eating and drinking, whatever what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't be moving from house to house. He's telling them, Stay focused on the people that God has called you to reach. You may not be called or sent great distances, but how focused are you on the people that God has placed you around every single day? Are you focused on taking the good news of Jesus Christ to them through what you say and what you do and how you treat them? Your mission, he says to them, is to bring the peace of God to those who need it, those who will receive it. So stay focused on that. He said, remain there. Be committed to those people and see what God does over time. And then verse 8, he says, when you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things that are before you. He says, eat what's set before you. Now, I don't know how much you know about Jewish history, but that little line right there is a big, big, big deal. Huge deal. Because you know what they centered their lives around as good Jewish people? The Sabbath and what they didn't eat. Those two things. The Sabbath and what they didn't eat. There were rules about the Sabbath. You were to do this and not do that. You were to avoid this, 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 and this so that you don't break the Sabbath. And guess what? You better not eat the things that you're not supposed to eat that aren't kosher. And so when Jesus says, you go into those towns and you eat what is set before you, we're talking about a huge, huge deal. A major, major deal. He says, you're to eat what is set before you. Don't be sidetracked about fussy arguments over legalism. And folks, I'll just tell you, there's nothing that bothers me more as a pastor 
and more as a Christian than when I hear people being told that it's Jesus plus anything. I'll just be honest with you. When you are talking with your friends, when you happen to have a spiritual conversation with a neighbor, a coworker, understand it's not about the rules that they follow. Don't lead with rules. Jesus says, eat what's before you. Don't make it an issue. Well, I can't eat that. Why? Well, but you know, no, no. Eat what's before you and present Jesus. That's the idea. There's a lot of time when we get caught up. Well, if you just come to church, you're going to be okay. Not the case. Legalism was not the point. The point was to get people to Jesus. He goes on. He says in verse 9, he says, heal the sick. He intends for them to meet needs. Heal the sick. You're going to find this week, and and anybody who's been on a short-term mission trip will find that when you begin to meet the needs of people, there's something about that that opens the door for a conversation. Isn't that true? Uh, Bullhorn guy on the corner is not getting his message across today like maybe he once did because people look at him and they say, you don't care about me in any way. You're just shouting at me. But when you begin to meet needs for people and you say, you know what, I love you and I care for you, even though I don't really know you, I love you and care for you, there begins to be something that God does through that. Jesus says, heal the sick. I don't have healing power. God has not blessed me with any kind of spiritual gift that comes with healing powers. Don't come to me after service. i got a need. I need you to heal me. I can't do it. I'll smack you in the head if you want me to, but that's as far as we're going. Okay? Some of you, please, I'll smack you in the head. Okay? We'll smack each other in the head. But we're not going to be healing each other. You understand what I mean? Jesus is saying, look, when you see needs that they have, meet the needs. Earn the right to be heard. Love them, and then the conversation can begin. There are countless stories of missionaries who've dug wells, who've conducted clinics, who've served various parts of the world, and then they become someone trustworthy in their community. Then the conversations are easier. Then the relationship is established. Then the reasons for why are you doing what you're doing can be explained. Which brings up what Jesus said next. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Speak up. Some of you have been with me the whole time, and this is where I lose you, okay? <clears throat> Just so you know, I, I understand. Hey, I, I'm good with meeting needs. Boy, I tell you what, I'm good at that. But you asked me to say something. <sighs> Jesus, in the same sentence, says, Heal the sick who are there and tell them. It's not, not either or. It's not one or the other here. It's both and. Meet their needs and speak up. Tell them about the kingdom of God. Tell them about what God has done. Tell them about what God is doing. And we make this harder than it really has to be, I think. I don't know what to say. Do you know God's story at all? Do you know the story? Do you understand that we have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory, the Scripture tells us? Do you know that in and of ourselves we deserve nothing but God's wrath? Do you know that Jesus then died for us to pay for that sin so that God, as the song says, His wrath would be satisfied so that He's no longer mad at us? He took it all out on Jesus, poured all His wrath out on the cross to to deliver us from our sins and set us free and forgive us for all eternity. Do you understand that simple little story? Do you understand the simple message of the gospel that apart from Jesus Christ, we're bound for hell, but because of Jesus' grace and through faith in him, we can be forgiven and saved for all eternity? Do you understand that little part? You don't have to know everything about the scripture. You don't have to be fluent in Greek and Hebrew. You don't have to understand all those things. You need to understand God's story and then be able to say, here's what God has done for me. 
That's it. Don't make it harder than it has to be. What do you mean, speak up? What am I supposed to say? Whatever the conversation dictates, you say, and the Holy Spirit gives you, as the Scripture says, utterance to say. What will He provide you words for in that moment? To speak His truth. Y'all are going to have stuff this week. It'll be an awkward conversation with a homeowner. You're working for them. They don't know what to say. And they come out to you and they'll ask you, where are you from? You start talking about it. And in some cases, they'll be blown away. They'll just look at you like you've got three heads. They don't even know what to do with you. What? And how old are you? So you're a teenager, and you traveled all the way across the state to come and work on my house. Uh, yeah. Do you know what they're asking? Why in the world did you do that? Let me encourage you this week. Speak up. You have no idea what God's doing in their heart. No idea. Don't assume that just because their house is being worked on that they're also a believer in Christ. Speak up and say, so look, yeah, I did because I love Jesus and I love you and I feel like it's what God has called me to do. And who knows where the conversation goes from there. You got somebody in your life that you're loving on and, and you're meeting a need, it's a neighbor, it's a friend. Eventually, you know what? Lead the conversation and say, look, I just want you to know I love you and, and I believe God loves you. And I believe this is what Jesus has set me on mission to do, is just love on people in His name. And see where the conversation goes. Don't make it any harder than it has to be. Don't make it too difficult. Know God's story. Know your story with Jesus. And then get around people that you can talk about it with. Jesus goes on and He highlights the fact that all that stuff sounds great, but there's going to be people who are going to reject it. And He goes on for several verses, from verse 10 to verse 16. And He talks about what happens when they don't reject it. And His message is very simple. Never take it personally. Never take it personally. Now listen, this was a hard one. Never take it personally. The truth is, it's not about you and it's not about me in the first place, is it? Jesus tells them, if you look in verse, look at verse 16. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Not about you in the first place. Not about people liking you. The truth is for, I'll just speak for myself. I won't put this one on you. I came to the realization a week or two ago that sometimes I'm more concerned with people liking me than I am loving than, than, than I'm concerned with them loving Jesus. I'm more concerned sometimes with do they do they like me <laughs> than I am concerned with do they love Jesus. Maybe you're that kind of person. You like to be liked. It's like people like you. You know, you want them to love Jesus, but you really do want, you know, you want them to like me. Jesus says, look, if they reject you, if they listen to you, they're listening to me. That has nothing to do with you. We can take no credit for it whatsoever. I wonder how would we do missions differently if we didn't take it personally? If we were not worried about the reflection on us with the results, the truth is I've had to learn that in a lot of different areas. In parenting, and ministry, in coaching baseball, I've had to learn that the results are not necessarily a reflection on me. You know, if the church is full on Sunday morning, you know how the pastor feels? He's done something good. If the church is empty on Sunday morning, you know what the pastor feels? Man, that sermon last week must have been worse than I thought. In the world did I do? But you know what the pastor can do about any of that? Nothing. Just be faithful. Just keep preaching. 
You know what you can do if your friends and neighbors receive that message? You know what you can do to make them receive it? Nothing. You can't change anybody, can you? But do you know what happens when they reject you? Do you know what that reflects on you? Nothing. Just a faithfulness that you've done. Jesus would tell them, look, if they reject you, then wipe the dust off your feet in front of them and move on. All he's saying is, look, don't let it stick to you. Don't take it personally. Don't be angered and offended. Christians, we have no right to be offended like we are. They nailed Jesus to the cross. Spit on him. Beat him. If anybody had the right to be offended, it was Jesus. And what did he say hanging there on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He goes on and he finishes as they return. Look at verse 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. And look, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will ever harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. They experienced things they didn't anticipate and could not have predicted. Some folks take this out of context and they do some weird stuff with snakes, okay? Take it out of context. Just understand, Jesus is saying here, we we don't know that these words are meant to be taken absolutely literally, like you just go up to a snake and you stomp on it, it's not going to touch you. What he's saying is, look, I'm your protection, I've got you covered, there's nothing in this life that can truly harm you. They came back celebrating what had happened and stuff that they didn't even anticipate. The demons were submitting to them. They're surprised and they're joyous. Jesus tells them about what he's seen in the spiritual realm, that Satan has suffered a huge defeat. And he says, you ought to celebrate. Celebrate what God is doing. Listen, I hope that you'll take time with your church group this week to truly celebrate what happens. We're going to have opportunity next Sunday, just so you know, for our group to stand up here and share the, the young people from our church. Here's what God did in me. Here's what God did through us this week. We're going to celebrate next week. And it's right and it's good to celebrate when God does something in you and for His glory. You ought to talk about it. You ought to celebrate it. You ought to clap and give God a hand and say, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. That's not about drawing attention to yourself. That's about praising the Lord and giving credit to God for what's happened. But don't miss what Jesus said at the end. Don't miss the cause for the biggest celebration. He says that your names are written in heaven. Some of us have gotten over our salvation. We've gotten over it. We don't recognize it for what it is, a true miracle to be celebrated every single day, to wake up in the morning and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for my salvation. I praise you today for what you did on the cross for my soul. Don't ever stop celebrating what God has done. It ought to be the talk of our Sunday school classes and our youth group meetings. What has God done in and through? Let me just tell you, God saved my soul and here's what he's doing in my life. There's so much talk about how Christianity is losing its footing and it's not growing like it once did. But let me tell you, we got a room full of people this morning. And so many of us have had our lives changed by the grace of God. And there's something to celebrate and get excited about. So take time to celebrate what God has done. I want you to go back up on your outline just a little bit because it says there what great missionaries do. And and really how that should read, if you look at that, is what every Christian must do. That's how it should read. 
Because every Christian is a missionary, and that's God's plan for changing the world. You, me, doing what every Christian simply must do. Going, being strong, traveling light, staying focused, meeting needs, speaking up, never taking it personally, and then celebrating what only God can do. If you've been saved by God's grace, you're now sent by God's grace as a missionary for Him. Every Christian is a missionary, and if we believed that, then a world would never be the same. Let's pray together. I wonder this morning, what what do you believe? Do you believe it's Jesus plus nothing? You're counting on Christ alone for your salvation, for your hope for heaven. Do you believe that? You say, I'm not sure. Listen, I'd love to be able to talk with you about it. I don't have all the answers, but but I can tell you what Jesus has done. And I can point you to some scriptures that you'll see from God's word itself. Here's what God has done for you. And maybe today it's the moment for you that you need to believe in Jesus for the very first time. Receive his death and his resurrection as the hope for your salvation. And then do you truly believe that if you are a Christian, you're called also to be a missionary? Maybe you'd pray this morning, Lord, change my mind. Open my eyes. Lord, help me to do the things as a believer, as a, as a missionary, that the people around me so desperately need. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful this morning for salvation. Thank you that you changed this sinner into a saint. And that, Lord, now I stand before you not as a broken down sinner, but as one who is loved and forgiven and changed forever by your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the death of Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection that gives us the hope of eternal life. Lord, set us on course to be missionaries, to change our world, whichever part of it you've placed us in. We lift up the Kentucky Changers to you, God. We pray for them this week, for their protection, for their encouragement for their energy. We pray, Lord, you help them to speak up and to serve well. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you've done for us. We pray in that name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand if you would. Let's...